Good morning, good morning Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast and the Class, which is sponsored today by Barbara and Haim Daba, dedicated in loving memory of their niece, Mona Hadad, Aleha Shalom, Lilu Nishmat Minucha Bat Esther. As well, uh, the week of cold brew is dedicated in loving memory of Sammy Sayed, Aleha Shalom, Lilu Nishmat, Shalom Oben sponsored by his son Isaac Sayed. Rabotai, we find a, uh, a strange and a peculiar uh, decision made by God. And that is that when God decides to free the Jewish people from Egypt, He brings upon the Egyptians ten plagues. And we, we are all familiar with the idea, the Midrash uh, po- uh, popularized, and that is that the ten plagues in Egypt were a mirror um, or were because of the ten trials that Abraham Avinu passed during his lifetime. On a simple level, that only means that Abraham Avinu had ten merits, so therefore there were ten plagues. But obviously, any discerning mind can understand that that can't be what it means. What, is exactly there was ten of these, so there was ten of these? Did, they, did all the makot cost the same, even though some of them had much more devastating effects than others? Right? Makat dam was terrible, but they could pay their way out of it. You couldn't pay your way out of the frogs. Right? So they're not all, they weren't all created equal. So are you, do you mean to tell me that each one of the ten trials is an exact payment plan for Abraham, Abraham Avinu's ten nisyonot? Does that make sense? And the answer, Abu Tai, can be found in analyzing, just for one second, the purpose of the makot themselves. You see, most people assume, if you ask them, what was the purpose of the ten makot? The answer will be, was to get the Jewish people out of Israel, out of Egypt, and take them to Israel. But a closer reading of the text reveals that actually that was not the purpose of the ten makot. It doesn't say again and again and again, I'm going to bring ten makot in order that you send the Jewish people out. God gives a plethora of reasons and each one of these reasons actually is, in some ways, much larger than taking the Jews out of Egypt. Um, as an example, in order that I can place my miracles, and the Pasuk says, in one place it says, and you will know that I am God. So perhaps the ten plagues were not about taking the Jewish people out of Egypt. But on some level, the ten plagues were about taking the Egypt out of the Jews. And a second understanding, perhaps, Rabotai, can be driven in by the fact that it says that in order that the Egyptians should know that I am God uh, in the midst of the earth. So it seems as if the parasha surrounding this issue, the questions surrounding why God brought the ten makot, are more about making God's name known, having people understand what God is, who God is, how He interacts with the world. That I am not God in some forsaken planet up in the sky, but rather, I am intimately involved in the details, in the minutia of every person's life. And if that is the point of the ten plagues, then we begin to understand, my dear friends, its connection to the ten trials of Avraham. You see, Abraham's battle in this world was not in order to survive. His battle in this world was, 
B'Shem Hashem. In fact, had Avram only renounced God, all of his troubles immediately disappear. He doesn't need to travel He doesn't need to go to, to, to Paro, to Egypt, you know, with, uh, with his wife Sarah. He doesn't have to have the story of the Akedah. If he has a voice in his head that tells him to bring his son up as a, as a korban, he just says no. <laughs> right? Any one of the ten trials that Avram has, if you eliminate God from his life, those trials disappear. The story of the Kivshah and Ha'esh, they give him a choice whether or not to jump into the furnace of fire. Rabotai, Avraham's existence in this world and the trials that he faces are trials in his will, his indomitable will to bring God's name to the earth. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Avraham, there'll come a time that I'm going to give the Eretz Israel to your children, Avraham asks, how will I know? How will I know that I will be able to bequeath this land to my children? How will I know that? How do I know that my kids will be worthy of you giving them the land of Eretz Israel? And God says, You should know that your children will become sojourners in a land that doesn't belong to them. They're going to punish them. They're going to enslave them. And after that, I'm going to take them out. The idea of the Jewish people descending into Egypt was to make a nation of Avrahams. Avraham did not have a question on God's intent. And you know that because Avraham doesn't ask a question in the most difficult trials of his life. There's no part in the Akedah where Avraham says, okay, I'll bring Yitzchak up, but what's in it for me? He never asks any questions. So now, because Hashem promises him a piece of land, now you have questions on God. The answer, my friends, is not that he questions, he questions God's intentions. Not that he questions God's willingness to give Eretz Israel, but rather, he questions whether or not, how do I know, Ribonoshel Olam, that my children will be like me? That my children will be the type of people that you made a covenant with? What if they change? What if Shema Yigrom Hachet? And God says, I'm going to send them down to Egypt. And there's a process that they are going to undergo. And after they undergo that process, they will become mini Avrahams. Rabotai, when the Egyptians influenced the Jewish people to such a degree that they lost their connection to Avraham Avinu, right? God had to intervene. Suddenly there was a point in each Makkah in order to see Hashem's hand. So how do you create that? How do you help someone recognize and help someone realize God's hand, God's um, uh, omnipotence, God's uh, omniscience? How do you make somebody realize that? One of the ways our rabbis teach us is this concept, Leman tisaper be'ozne bencha, Right? In order that you should tell over in the ears of your children. Rabotai, today, social psychologists understand, and even, um, what's it called? Financial psychologists. That means that there are people who analyze the minds of buyers, and they will tell you that the story of a brand is as important as the brand itself. So what you're selling to someone is incredibly uh, uh, important to the person 
it, the story of what that product is, what you set out to do, what's your mission statement? Are you using, uh, you know, renewable energy? You know, is it, do you have, uh, uh, you, know, ch you know, child labor involved? People want to know. They want to know. They're willing to spend $10 on a cup of coffee so long as you tell them a story that they want to hear. There's a power in a story. And the Ben Ishchai writes something unbelievable. He says that in the Pasuk, when we talk about um, and when God saved the Jewish people from Egypt and he took them to the sea, and the Jewish people saw the great hand. Says the Ben Ishchai, what does it mean they saw the great hand? The Ben Ishchai says over a rule of thumb. He says when a person has an obligation to tell over a miracle, if a miracle happens to you, you have an obligation to tell over that miracle to your nearest and dearest. In fact, that is the basis upon which we have this halacha called Birkata Gomel or a Su'udat Hoda'ah. You make a party, you thank Hashem, and you tell everyone about the miracles and the good that God did to you. In fact, the nature of the Beracha itself, you're telling everyone, God did good to me. You go make a Beracha, God did a miracle for me in this place. Rabotai, this idea of telling over your children, when you tell over a miracle, says the Ben Ishchai, you have to start at the beginning. So when Am Yisrael was telling over the story of the leaving of Egypt, what's the big hand? Says the Ben Ishchai. The big hand was reminding themselves of when baby Moshe is floating down the river and Batya comes out and she reaches out to try and grab the basket of the person who would become the savior for the Jewish people. And her hands shed, spread many amot. It stretched very far to be able to bring the basket in. It's a crucial component of baking emunah into our children is this point. So Rabbi the the, the pain, the plagues that the Egyptian went through, there was purpose in those plagues and in that pain. And just as that was true for Jews long ago, that's true as well for each and every one of us. When we're going through any sort of pain or problem or plague or issue, it's always for a purpose and it's up to us to be able to tell the story, to analyze the story and to figure out what is the purpose of that pain. Rabotai, I want to share with you something unbelievable. There was a Kolel uh, uh, student in, uh, in Mexico. He made some money. He was going to put it in his bank account. Kolel students don't have a lot of money in their bank account. So it was a big deal. He had 7,000 pesos in, uh, in a bright yellow envelope. You know the ones that they used to give money in with the little folding thing, you know? The bright yellow envelope. 7,000 pesos. He goes, takes this kid to school, goes to the kolel. All of a sudden he feels his pocket. The money is gone. It's a tremendous amount of money. He can't afford to lose that. He starts running around looking. He can't find the envelope anywhere. He starts to retrace his steps. 
And he goes all the way back from where he was, everywhere he had been that day, looking, scanning frantically to see if he could find the envelope anywhere. Finally, he realizes that maybe on his way, actually, there's a massive school of, uh, uh, on the way. And perhaps with all the people coming in and out of the school, maybe someone found the envelope and turned it in. So he went to the security guard of this school and he said, did any of the parents or any of the children you know, turn in an envelope? And the man says, I'm really sorry. Dejected, this young Talmud Chacham, budding Talmud Chacham, walks outside. And as he's walking outside, they're sitting in the middle of the road in clear view, a, a bright yellow envelope is lying right there in the middle of the street. He thinks to himself, for sure it's empty by now. You know, who could miss this bright envelope sitting right there? And as he reaches down, he realizes that it, was, it had been run over by a car. So maybe it was a little bit less bright. And maybe it was, what's it called, a little bit more flat. And maybe perhaps it, 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 you know, it ran over the lip of the envelope so the lip didn't open and money didn't start flying anywhere so there wouldn't have been anything left. But he reaches down and he picks up the envelope and every single cent of his money is still in this envelope. It's been sitting outside in the middle of the road for hours and no one's touched it. He comes back home. He goes back to study and he sits down with his chavruta and he tells him what happened. I can't believe it. And the chavruta says to him, I wonder if you recovered the money, that means that you're supposed to have the money. But why did God make you lose it only in order for, for you to, to then find it? If you lost the money, you'd say there was a message in losing the money. So just because you found the money doesn't mean that there's, now there's no message in you losing the money. And the man is, the rab, this Tamil uh, Chacham, he's, uh, he's, he says, you know, you know what, you're right. I hear you, I understand. And he's thinking and he's thinking and he's thinking. He says, I'm not sure. The Chavruta says, well, I have a suggestion. Maybe what God is trying to show you is that whether or not you have or don't have money is not in the hands of anything but Him. Whether you'll find it or you'll lose it, it's not because, you, you know, it's the, whether you make the money or lose the money, it's not because you worked hard. It's because HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided to bless you. Are you praying enough for your Parnassah? Are you putting too much effort to try and bring in Parnassah when you should have more bitachon? Maybe that's the message. Now, I love this story, and I'll tell you why. Because it shows an absolute eye for the Yad Hashem. A focus and understanding that when Hashem does something, anything, even if nothing terrible happens from it, there's also a reason. When Borel Olam bought each one of the ten makot, if his purpose was to get the Jews out, he could have got them out in one makah. He could have just killed all the firstborn or killed all the Egyptians or he could have drowned them in the ocean, had the ocean overflow, drowned everyone in their beds and not save the Jews. He could have had them freeze like in the Makkah of Choshech, they couldn't move and all the Jews would have walked out. That's it, one little part of one little Makkah. But a close student of the story would recognize that if there's more parts to the story, there's more here to the lesson. That's what made me love this story so much. You know how you increase emunah in your children? 
by constantly being a storyteller. By asking your kids, by telling your kids about what happened, about the things that happened that didn't make sense that happened to you, about how HaKadosh Baruch Hu was looking out for you, about how you were mevater, you gave in, and something better happened to you because you gave in and you didn't fight. About how you bent over backwards to be honest, about how you kept Shabbat. If you tell your children these stories, then you embed in them the power of emunah. Rabotai, that is the power of the story. But it's, an import, it's important before you tell a story to be able to see the story. You know, someone once asked me, Rabbi, how is it that you have so many stories that happened to you? I don't understand. I said, have you ever met a rabbi? <laughs> you know, you get phone calls from people all the time, nonstop. By the way, and now I have people, Fadal, anyone that wants, now I have people, they know that you're telling stories in classes and they hear a story that inspires them. They say, have I got a story for you? And then they call and share with you three more stories. Right? I also have, what's it called? My, uh, I have a, a, a few people that are dedicated that they read stories and they send me great stories that they read or see. So I have, I'm, I stockpile. You know, you got to remember them. It's important. Yeah, you got to remember them. To chazara, you have to repeat. But Rabotai, it's such an important thing to understand. You know why I have stories? Why do you have parnasah? For you to make your money, for you to earn your living, what do you need? You need to make sales. For you to make your living, you need to sell product. For you to make your living, you need to take on a case. For you to make your living, you know, you need to sell insurance. So God makes it that someone needs insurance. God makes it that someone... I have to teach Torah. And one of the primary ways to teach Torah and to implant emunah and faith and connection and uh, uh, um, uh, yahadut is through the, the iteration and reiteration of God's hand playing out in the world. So for my parnasah, Hashem has to send me stories. But the second answer, Rabotai, is not just that I get sent stories and random stuff happens to me and the weirdest stuff happens to me, Rabotai. But not just that. It's also that I'm paying attention. You know, I like to compare it to, and I think that this is something that every parent, teacher, person who's trying to grow can learn from. I give it like a mashal. You ever outside... And all of a sudden you hear, you know, the car is like skidding. And then you, you wait. You wait for the crash. Right? You know that happens? And then it doesn't happen. You're like, Does that ever happen? In Israel, it used to happen all the time. Anyone who's ever lived in Yerushalayim, you'll know that in Israel, it's a very scary thing. You hear these booms all the time in Jerusalem. Your first thought, if you're living in Yerushalayim, is terrorist attack. You hear bomb. So what does every Israeli do after they hear a boom? Because there's another boom that happens in Yerushalayim all the time. And that's the boom of construction. So how do you know if it's a boom which is a bomb or if it's a boom which is a building? As soon as the boom goes off, you make that same face and you wait for the sirens. The sirens go off, you stop praying. Because you know something terrible has happened. No sirens? 
You know, it wasn't a Mossad hit. They're building a building. (laughs) Okay? Rabotai, waiting for that siren or waiting for the sound of the crash is when your subconscious knows that the end of A is B. In the conscientious listener's mind, when something happens to them, they don't just take it as is, they wait for the end of the story. So you know why I have a lot of stories? Because I'm listening. So you see the story of a guy in pain, but you stop listening. You don't get to hear the end of the story where the guy got the shidduch, or the guy got the business, or it turned out better for him, because you weren't listening. You, you tuned out, you changed the channel. Rabbi listen to the story. There's no pain without purpose. Even something as small as losing something temporarily is there to teach you something. And if we're listening, Rabbi we learn these beautiful messages each and every day. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.